And good morning, everyone, and welcome to Small Beers Matters, indeed the half-hour program where you work on your business rather than in it. My name is Alexi Boyd. Thank you very much for joining me this week. We've had a complete guest fest happening over the last few weeks and a hugely successful accounting and business expo last week. Thank you so much for having us there. Those of you who popped along to say hi, it was great to see a smiling face, particularly from our friends in Hornsby. It was a hugely successful conference because we were able to reach a lot of people and get the message out there about the importance of small business education. So my regular listeners will know all about how passionate I am about that, being a former teacher, of course, but also how much I believe there's not really great content out there. So any of you listening to today's show can look at becoming a media partner with Small Biz Matters, completely free, of course. We look at providing you with great content and you provide it to your clients and to your uh, database. So get in touch with us via smallbizmatters.com.au if you're interested in that. Of course, that's where you can find all of our previous podcasts, our wonderful guests. We've got 130 podcasts on there, plus another 60 on iTunes and Spotify. So lots of great ways to get in touch and extend your business education knowledge, which is exactly what we're doing today. We're going to be talking about a pretty important topic because I think at some point in our business lives, we will do a presentation. And I'm not just talking about standing up in front of a room and maybe talking to say 50 or 60 people or hundreds of people if you're lucky, but actually any time we put ourselves out there. And that might be in the form of an email. It might be standing in an elevator, literally doing an elevator pitch. It might be standing in a networking event and meeting someone for the first time. Wherever that is, you are communicating. And today is all about effective communication. So when you present to a group, whether it's large or small, how do you actually know when you've nailed it? And what is that magic formula for getting it right? What if I said to you the answer is actually as simple as delivery and just five slides? It's that simple, right? Well, of course, you need to know your stuff. You need to be an expert and you need to be pretty good at microphone technique. But the secret sauce is just five slides. Jeremy Goff from CloudSys is an expert in PR and communications. He's going to share this with us and other secrets, which you won't believe make it so easy. Plus, you're going to learn about the best approach to these tricky email conversations. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thank you very much, Alexi. It's lovely to be here in... uh Hornsby Shire. It's too many years ago I attended Pennant Hills High School and it's... Um, <laughs> You're coming back home. Good to be home. It is indeed. Too many, so many lovely trees and the lovely people <laughs> and the community spirit Absolutely. and the wonderfulness of community radio. So you're here in the studio. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Now we're going to be talking about communication, which I would like to put my communication hat on, think that I've got right after five years of having a go in front of a microphone. But for some people, and certainly at the beginning of my journey, it's not an easy process. And um, the thought of even speaking to someone or opening up a fresh email with someone you don't know can be rather daunting. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about some really simple techniques. And let's talk about firstly, communicating clearly. And ultimately, it's about getting someone to do something, isn't it? So let's talk, talk about the basics there with me. Why is it Why is it as simple as that? Why is it as simple as just getting the person on the end of the phone, the email to do something for you? Yeah, sure. That's a really good way, a good, a good starting point. Going back to what you said uh, a, little, a little earlier, a lot of people are not confident uh, and, and a little bit nervous about communicating. And it's, it's because there's almost this cult of complexity that's evolved around communication. I think possibly people in my profession are guilty of guilty of that, trying to make it sound more complex than it is. When communication is actually quite a simple thing to do and there's some basic rules and if you follow those rules, no need to be nervous and you, you nail it every time. One of those complexifying factors is this idea that everyone's got to have a key message. 
that everyone's got to be on message, which is what they say in all the TV programs as well, all the all the um, all the dramas, sound bites, for That's example. Exactly right. You've got to be able to get the message, and there's there's got to be this little package that people have to run away with and use in their newsreel, but. We're not all that important, are all we? All sorts of overdramatic ways of making it sound much harder, harder than it is. And it, it distracts you from, from the key thing about communication, which is when you're communicating with someone, however you're communicating with them on the radio, via email, via text, um, just having a chat over a cup of coffee, you can be distracted by thinking, what's my key message? What's their takeaway? Oh. What are they learning from this experience? It's not about that at all. It's about what do you want them to do or not do after you've communicated with them. It's as simple as that. When you're a kid, it's trying to persuade your big brother or your little brother to give them a ch- give, give you a chocolate. Um, <laughs> or give, give you the toy. And as you grow older, it's, it's persuading friends to join your footy team or that nice girl you've just met to, to um, go out to dinner with you. It's all about what do you want someone to do. And in the, in the context of small business... It's usually, most importantly, about persuading people to either purchase your product or consider purchasing your product or to start a conversation with you about what your product's all about. Do you think one of the problems that small business has when they're having these sort of, let's talk about emails specifically, is they're already thinking about step 10, which is you're going to be my best client, rather than step one, which is... Um, I just want to engage with you in a conversation and I want you to respond. <laughs> is That's, that as simple as that? Yes, it is. In many ways, it's as simple as that. The other trick with emails is as you're writing, you're thinking about your facial expression and the intonation you would use if you communicated this in person because emails are now so informal. It's not like back in the, back in the old days when you would write a letter to someone and you would have to think about it very carefully or cross the damn thing out and start again. Mm. Um, an email is something that's very casually thrown about these days and you can very easy, easily be misconstrued because the tone, your tone of voice that's in your head does not come out on the screen when you, uh, when you send the email. Emojis help a little bit. Oh, God, to that really? extent these days. An emoji can be a helpful oh, way. Oh, see, I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> I am a dear so-and-so, comma, two-line spacing and then kind regards and a proper email signature at the bottom. I'm very, I guess... I guess, more formal and more conservative with my emails because I think that that's going to get my message across and it makes me look more professional. Are we diluting that a little bit, that conservative nature, because the workforce is getting younger? I'm going to put it out there. Do you think this is a millennial Gen Y emoji thing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if it is, as a a much older than a Gen Y, uh, sorry, what am I, Gen X, um, and certainly not a millennial, I must be learning from them. Because quite often in communication with clients of mine, uh, and you very rapidly move from from email to text or from to to a WhatsApp or something like that. Um, quite often, my clients and I will respond to each other with the thumbs up emoji uh, or one of the other emojis that suggests you're you're cracking a joke, that suggests you're in, importing humour into the communication. So is that one way to make the conversation, I guess, I don't want to say more casual, but more relaxed? It's one way to make sure you don't get misconstrued. Of so many times before the advent of emojis, I would send an email, and in my mind, there was wry humour involved, and all I did was create offence. <laughs> with, with a colleague, with a close colleague, who just couldn't understand how to take what I just said because they weren't looking at my face. 
And now you've and got the winking emoji to help you. <laughs> Thank God for the winking emoji. <laughs> I can't believe that the emojis are providing scaffolding for emails, but I am listening. I am listening. I may use the winking emoji a few more times. But it's a good point, isn't it? Because even with people you know very well and you're just having a bit of a laugh, they can't hear the tone of your voice and they can't see the expression on your face. So to add a little bit of expressiveness to someone you know, maybe not that first formal email with someone that you're communicating with initially to get on board as a major client, um, but you need to, I guess you need to think of the long-term plan with the relationship building that you're doing. And that's what it is. You're, you're building relationships with each email that you're sending off. Well, that's exactly right. It's in the same way as, as when you're speaking with someone for the first time and meeting them. Quite often people, people who are good communicators will mimic the other person's communication style. If you meet someone uh, who speaks with a certain accent uh, or who... Uh, Slows down their yeah, speaking, that's yeah, exactly or speeds right. up their speaking. Isn't that funny? You're right. Is, we or do if mimic they have it. Have a deeper voice. You mm. tend to, you tend to mimic. I, as a younger person in, in my early twenties, worked for a couple of people who had men who had deep baritone. Is this politicians? Politicians and 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 people in the public sphere. Mm. They had deep baritone voices, and they spoke deliberately and slowly. And within a couple of months, I'd go home and my partner at the time would say, why are you speaking? <laughs> Who's taken over Jeremy's brain? Why are you speaking like name of your boss? So you do find people do that. It works well. It's actually a very, it's an instinctive strategy many people use. It works very well. You can't do that with emails. Mm. Uh, and yet emails are so important because we throw them around all the time. So there are other techniques for making your email able to create that sense of commonality, common thinking, common purpose between yourself and the person you're sending the email to. The most important thing to do is in the start of every communication, the first sentence you write or the first sentence you deliver verbally has to bring your audience with you. I call it creating the context. You can't just jump straight in and tell people your conclusion because most of the time you're going to be four or five steps ahead of them and you might either scare them or make them think you're a crazy person or actually put them on the defensive and then you've got to spend the rest of the conversation reeling it back and defending your position rather than having brought them along. So my rule is you should have to get you should be able to get to your key message in four sentences and in terms of spoken delivery that's about 45 seconds mm. and the way to do that is that your first sentence should always create a context or a starting point that you both agree with that you're both familiar with and could that just be as simple as introducing yourself because that's a fact and you both agree with that i am so and so is that a little bit yeah. too formal again uh no quite often you'll 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 say hi i'm emailing you because Hmm. Alexi Boyd suggested I give you a call. Right. That just creates a, a common point of context rather than I'm emailing you because I really I like irritating you and I want you to buy something from me yep. or I want you to do a survey or whatever it is. Mm -mm. Just create that context of familiarity, create that connection. I'm emailing you because Alexi Boyd suggested that uh, it might be worth talking to you. And sentence two is time. Sentence, sentence two is why is it? that I'm having this conversation with you at all. Mm -hmm. So quite, if, if you think about it in terms of you create a context, it might, you, you might be emailing somebody who you know and you've been dealing with one way or the other. And so you'll say, as you know, we've been talking about whatever the issue is, or as you know, uh, 
this project has been ongoing for for six weeks. The next sentence is very quickly, well, why am I talking with you about this now? Mm-hmm. Everyone's busy, everyone's very time poor. You need to get very quickly to the reason why they should even bother reading, continuing to read your email or just put it in the, either hit the delete button or put it in the I'll deal with this sometime after Christmas folder. We've all got one of those. <laughs> um, and so, you, and so it's, it's around saying, providing the conversational trigger for why it is that we're talking about this now. So, for, for example, going back to my example, as you know, we've been working on this project for six weeks. Tomorrow, we have to give our progress report to the CEO. So you get a slight sense of urgency to keep them and on the hook. Of why are we talking about it now? Or it could be tomorrow we're receiving new data, which we need to input into our model mm-hmm. within by, by midday. Uh, it just creates the, okay, why am I here? Why am I bothering to talk to you about this? And why should you continue to pay attention to my email as opposed to the hundreds of other emails mm-hmm. that, or, or elevator pitch or whatever it is mm-hmm. um, that you're receiving every day? The next trick is how do I get to my key message? And my key message is, remember, it's what it is I want you to do. So in this example, it might be, uh, I need you to clear your desk and just focus on this project doing the numbers for me because you're the you're the spreadsheet guru from 9 to, to 11. I need you to make a commitment to me that you're not going to be working on anything else for, for the next two hours. Mm-hmm. Or in a, in a different context, if you're, in, say, inviting someone to come and meet you in a coffee or something like that, then your key message is going to be, how about we have a coffee in Chatswood at... At, at 10 o'clock. Do you think it's important in terms of the way that it's laid out on the page um, but, or is it more these days because so many people are looking at these emails on different devices that that's not important anymore? I mean, I'm I'm very picky about the way the emails are laid out so that there's bullet points in there, maybe a little bit of bolding if I'm trying to get the message across. Mm. Um, what, what's your thinking on that or do you think we need to sort of evolve beyond that because of the... Look, I think everyone's got their own style in that regard, but what we're talking about here is the first paragraph, mm. which is well before you, you make any decisions about mm-hmm. any of those kind of things. So first sentence, context, bring them with you. Second sentence, okay, why am I talking about that piece of context right now? Your fourth sentence is your key message. How do you get from the why are we talking about this now to the key message? Which is what you want them to do. Which is what you want them to do. And the answer is you ask a question. So hopefully your context and trigger has set up a situation where there's something unresolved. Right. In in the case of um, tomorrow, the new data is coming, and we're going to have to Im- import it into the, the model. The simple question is: so, how are we going to do that? Mm. Or, or which team members do we need to to bring on board? Or how are we going to organise the team to make that happen? It's just, it's a simple. I'm making this up as I go, but it's a simple. It's a, it's a quite often a very simple question. And again, it's this whole point. You think it's hard to communicate because you try and over-complexify the situation. It's actually not. Your key message is, can we have a meeting at 9 o'clock, a workshop from 9 to 11? Everyone's got to clear their desks. If you start with that in your first sentence, it sounds a they're going to say, well, excuse me, I don't actually think I work for you. <laughs> so exactly. I'm not quite sure why you're giving me orders. But if you go context, trigger, and a question. So the, the big question is, how are we going to resolve this mm-hmm. and do it quickly? Um then by the time you get to your key message 45 seconds later, they are with you. They realise that you're talking about something they're familiar with. They realise there's a time limitation on the situation. You've asked the obvious question, which is, well, how are we going to fix this? And you've come up with a good solution. 
So even if at the end of that conversation they don't agree with you and they say, well, how about can we start at 10, you've still achieved your outcome, which is you, the team's together and they're working on, on this thing and we're going to have it nailed by by midday. And sometimes the outcome is simply to get them to the end of the email. And often if your emails are beyond these four sentences or four key points and they run off the end of the page, you've lost them. That's 45 exactly right. seconds. I think that's a really important thing because, you know, we talk about that 15 second pitch, which I haven't done anything, any sentences in my life for less than 15 <laughs> seconds. But I, I think that that's really important to note with the amount of time that you've got people's attention span for, not because necessarily that we're losing our attention span because of social media and all that crap, but because this is basically the way people are engaging with the um, the, the activity of emails these days. Got to get short and sharp to the point. I, I can give an example. I was dealing with someone from a fairly large accounting firm, not accounting firm, a, a accounting software firm. You can all guess which one that was. And I was almost um, struck by the abruptness and the speed at which he replied, which I should have been complimented by considering who I was talking to. But it was just like, he was, there was no four sentences there. It was quite, oh, okay. Um, but it was almost like he was giving me action points and things I had to do yep. um, and put us on an, an, an unequal footing. Do you have There's, to be careful yeah, of that as well? You absolutely do. And at the end of the day, if you are the person with the power, if you're the customer, you get to, to just send abrupt messages. Um, because the provider needs your business. Or the, or the person chasing you needs your, your exactly attention. Right. That's exactly right. But going to your point about dot points, if, if the aim of your... Remember, going back to, to the, the first principle, what is the point of this communication? If the point of this communication is that this person you're communicating with needs to read five dot points, then that's your key message. Mm. And it's that's really what, important. That's what you get to at the end. But you need you to lay it up. read the five key things that I've laid out Below, below so don't put three paragraphs before the three no. key, key bullet points. And bring them with you. Mm. If you if you just started that email with, hey, there's five really important things I need you to read and then give me a call and talk about. I'm saying, well, I've got a million things to do today. And five, that's a really big number. I, am I really going to have to concentrate on this thing? But if you say, as you know, our two businesses are about to enter into a partnership, which could make us you know, $10 million over the next two years, um, and we're just a- approaching a cusp moment in, in terms of the decision-making of our joint client. The question is, what are the issues a client is grappling with and how do we deal with it? The answer is, I've laid it out in five dot points below. Can you please give it a read and then give me a call? Mm. You've brought me with you. If you start with right, right at the front, here's five really important things I've got to read. I may well and truly be distracted because my accountant's coming in an hour's time because I've got a bass to do, because the tax man's knocking on the door, because there's Anything. another customer, any, what, any, whatever, whatever it, is. it is. You need to take them with you. And within 45 seconds, you have to have them buy in to the fact that what you want them to do is actually important enough to spend time doing. Yeah, because that's what it is. You're asking for their time and you're asking Absolutely. for their for their, um, Absolutely. For their opinion or, or, or time or, or, so, or an action point, well, perhaps. Their, their brain space, their energy. Let's quickly take that um, thought and that process, those four I guess, uh, short sentences or email strategies and just flip it around to quickly talking about someone that you might be, um, you know, you might be engaging with on a conversational matter. So say you meet someone, you meet someone in the elevator. I don't want to say elevator. It's just the wrong word, isn't it? The lift (laughs) because we're in Australia. If you're meeting someone and you've got those four bullet points in your head or the four strategies, is, is that something you can use when you're meeting someone for the first time 
um, to engage with them, even yep. at networking event, perhaps? Absolutely is. If, if you use the same technique each time. And the thing I forgot to mention is when we're talking about sentences, do not have more than 25 words per sentence. Mm. Your audience will fall asleep. <laughs> and it's also, it makes your message much too complex. So if you hit three sentences of 25 words each to give you through your creating the, the place of the common starting point, followed by a trigger for why it is we're talking about this, followed by the question, and each of those sentences has fewer than 25 words and your key message has fewer than 25 words, you'll have the attention of the person, whether it's in a written format, but particularly if it's verbal. And there's a number of reasons for that. A, no one likes to listen to long sentences. B, no one has time to listen to long sentences. And C, you're probably going to forget what you're saying by the time you get to the end of a sentence that's longer than 25 words long. So it's trickier. In answer to your question, it's trickier when you're doing it verbally because you, you haven't had time to sit there and, sit there and those, yeah, plan out your whole conversation. Mm-hmm. But if you keep thinking to yourself, all right, context first, then why are we talking about this? And then question which leads to my key message. Okay, so let's role play. Okay, so I bump into you at a networking event and I go, oh, hi, Jeremy, you know, uh, thanks for, for coming along. It's great to see you tonight. And then in my brain, my brain's going, now, why did I want to talk to Jeremy? Oh, that's right. I wanted to get him to come on the radio show because I think he's an expert in what he does and I want him to come and, and talk about it. So that's my, I guess that's my, um, my end result or my point. What am I trying to say? It's what I'm trying to achieve is trying yes. to get you onto the show. Yes. So my first opening sentence is going to be context. So how do we know one another, for example? It's great to see you here. Thanks for coming along. Um, I noticed on LinkedIn you were doing this, this and this. Or last time I saw you, you were talking about this. And, and then sentence two is, I was thinking about you the other day because I've got a slot available in a month's time and I'd really like you to come on the program um, because I noticed that you wrote an article on, you know, the five slides of the perfect presentation and I want you to come and talk about it. And then the third one is, so would you be interested in coming on the program? Um, I think you'd be really great on the show would you be interested? Is that? I mean, like, yeah, no, that, see, that, this is why yeah. I suck at fifteen-second pitches. <laughs> but that's actually actually quite fine, and you would deliver that fine in a social context because you wouldn't be. You'd think so, wouldn't to you? Script yourself along. Oh, but I like quite scripting. Often, quite often, your question and your key message can be that can end up being the same thing. Yeah. What you just said was, "Hi, Jeremy. Good to see you. Uh, haven't seen you for ages." Uh, good timing because we've got a slot on timing. my radio program. And even if you say the word timing, that's great because it, it almost it almost uh, you know prompts your mind to say, um, okay, the timing is is here because of this these that's issues, it. and then we're getting on to the next. And then the that's question it. that's easy actually question context timing question response and strategy and, and or key, solution your key message yeah. yeah and so that's the more you practice it the easier it gets, to, it gets to be. There's another little trick you, you can have in your mind. I talk about it quite formally in terms of that first sentence being a context. And in email or any written communication, it's, it's useful to be a little bit more formal. But in, in talking to other people in a social context, first thing you should say is something about them. Yeah, my mother always says that. It's not about Your you. Your mother is right. Mm. It's not about you. It's about... Um, finding out from them or asking them a question about them to engage them within conversation so that you can show that you're a listener, that you're not just shouting at someone to try and drive the message into their brain. There's a funny psychological game going on here, but if you talk about somebody else, they will like you. Mm. 
simple as that. Mm. Yeah, well, and, and that's true, isn't it? And that's a really great way to engage with someone. And a good important point about making sure that when you're attending these events that you're continuing the relationship. So even if it's not something formal or they don't ultimately become a client, you need to connect with them on LinkedIn or do something in such a way that you're continuing the conversation so that next time you see them, you've got something to talk about other than, hi, I saw you at the last networking event. How are you? That's absolutely right. That's another trick that's very useful is always have something useful a useful piece of information for that person, particularly in these networking events. You walk into these networking events and everybody wants something. Mm-hmm. There's not many people giving. Sometimes people just want your time mm. and your Whatever ears it is, for 15 they just, seconds. They just want you and mm. they want you to create a business opportunity for them. Yeah. They want you to give them something. So if, if in every conversation with someone, you've actually got something you can give them, even if it's just a small tidbit of information, or reassurance or, or something like that that shows them you're focused on them and you've actually thought about it. Uh, so the people who are good at talking about you first are good salespeople. Everyone's been hit up by a salesperson and sometimes it's the kind of experience that makes you need to have a shower. But other times you quite enjoy it and we all, we've all been down that path. We know this person's a salesperson but it's, they, they're just so good at it that you're enjoying the ride. Well, that's right, because they make you feel good about yourself. And so maybe that's something that we all need to um, think about engaging with when we're, when we're talking. And then also, um, if any of you have just popped into the show now, we talked about at the beginning um, a, a really fantastic email strategy when it came to communication, which you should definitely catch up on. Now, we're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters on Triple H and across the community radio network around Australia. We will be back after these community service announcements to talk more about the perfect presentation. You're listening to Alexi Boyd and Small Biz Matters. Now, today on the show, we have an expert in PR and communications, Jeremy Goff from Cloud6. I keep on saying Cloud, Cloud6 Communications. And he's an expert we've been talking about before the break on email strategies and a very simple strategy you can utilise, which is four simple points, which was just to go over what we were talking about. What is the context of the email? Uh, why are we talking about it now? What's the timing? Uh, what's the question? And what are you trying to solve? And then the solution. And basically, you've got to try and get to that within 45 seconds read because not because we all have shorter attention spans, but because we are all thrown in different directions. So let's talk about the five slide rule. Now, when I first heard about this with from you, Jeremy, I was quite frightened. <laughs> the thought of giving someone like me less um, context or less content to read off was, was quite scary. And I think I mentioned to, to a few people who do presentations regularly and they said, there's no way, there's no way I can only use five slides. Why do you believe this to be the cornerstone of the perfect presentation? Why is this your secret herbs and spices? We should get your friends into the room and do a five slide challenge. That's always fun when you, when, when, uh, when I do workshops, I, I, I ask people to exactly the skeptics to bring in a presentation that they've 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 pulled together that they're quite happy with and then get the group to turn after after going through the the skills and the and the and the learnings get the group to uh turn it into a five slide presentation and you you see people with their arms crossed at the starting starting of it but uh by the end everyone's reasonably happy and and what it does is liberate your audience from from death by PowerPoint, <laughs> uh, as you say, everyone everyone's instinct, particularly anyone with with half an analytical mind, and so there we're talking about a lot of different professions in the small business space. 
Um, everyone wants to put as much content as possible into their presentation. It's because they're thinking, I've only got this limited amount of time I've and got, I need to jam all this information it. into their heads. I've got half an hour. I need to put the entire Encyclopedia Britannica into it. <laughs> so go. Uh, and that's the best way to turn your audience. Bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, sub bullet point. No, that's no, it. It doesn't and work. that's the best way to turn your audience off. And it's the best way to make sure you never get invited back to speak again. So the five-slide rule is just a nice, easy one to remember, which is you should be able to communicate every single thing you need in five slides. You name the presentation, you should be able to do it in five slides. Let's just reassure everybody here because the beginning slide is not counted. (laughs) The the title page slide, it doesn't include the title page slide nor the agenda slide, but after that you should be able to do it in, in five slides. And there's a really easy to remember technique for making sure that works one of the problems anyone listening you said there's 25 listeners listening right now hello to everybody out there hope you're having a nice time i can name all of them (laughs) hi bruce (laughs) um one of the things uh that slows down an audience's appreciation of a of the content you've got most people have got great content you're not standing up in front of an audience because you've got boring content. Or you're you've not got, an expert. Yeah, exactly. You've got the content and you probably are the expert. Otherwise, you've you much braver person than I um, or perhaps stupid. Um, but most people who stand up in front of an audience know their stuff. The problem is they present it in such a way as the audience either falls asleep or drops dead. Um, and so there's a few basic tricks to making it continually engaging and continually interesting. And starting with the idea that you can only do it in five slides is the first starting point. The second really important thing to remember is, you know that line of words that goes across the top of the slide? Most people think that's a heading. Isn't it? It's not a heading. It's not a heading. No, it's a lead. A lead? Let me explain the difference. The heading is the smaller little title in in the contents of the slide that explains what the picture is. Uh-huh. That's a heading. The lead across the top is actually your story. So instead of having five static headings, this heading says trucks on Sydney's roads and this heading says cars on Sydney's roads and this heading says motorcycles on Sydney's roads. This heading says weather on Sydney's roads. It doesn't help your audience, doesn't help bring your audience with you, as just using an example from the the, the um, motor and road industry, doesn't matter what industry you choose. Of course, what you need to do is make your leads tell a story. So, if you connected all your leads together, either in a sentence or possibly a sentence with some dot points, mm-hmm. it would make sense as a logical sentence and a story. Is this where you become the storyteller as the presenter? That's so, exactly because right people feel like they need to have a beginning, a middle and an end. That is exactly right. The end being the important bit because they're going, phew, we got to the end of it when it's so heavy in the detail. Well, it's not heavy in the detail, that's the point. And so those five, and I'm not going to say headings. Leads. Leads. The five leads are a way of um, developing the storyline of your presentation. That's exactly right. So people know where they are Hmm. in in terms of what you're trying to explain to them. Should those leads sometimes be cryptic or is that just annoying? No, that's just annoying. So you're trying to be clever, yeah. Yeah, no, there's, there's no, you don't need to prove you're clever by cleverness in your slides. You are clever because you're the person standing up there with the knowledge and they're, they're watching you talk or listening to you speak because they know you've got more information than they do and that's what they're there for. You need to make that information as accessible, as interesting and as engaging 
as you possibly can. So going back to what you were saying about that title page, it's not the agenda, I should say, that is where those leads go. So you're almost giving people an inkling yeah. on what to expect. Yeah, there's that old rule about tell them what you're going to say, say it, and then and say it again. tell them what you've just told them. Yeah. So your agenda page needs to have five dot points. Each dot point is exactly, almost exactly the lead of of the net of the slide that that relates to so that if the people you're presenting to because sometimes you're standing in front of a room of 300 people other times you're at a board table mm. and quite often at a board table it's more powerful to give your audience a paper version of your presentation than it is to have it up on the screen why because they can take notes because they can sort through it as they go and they can anticipate their questions uh, and because they can actually write their own personality onto your... right. They can own what you're saying by writing a note of their own on it. And that's a very powerful way of engaging your audience and bringing them, bringing them with you. And then, if you've, if, and then if they've seen the agenda page and it says, okay, the first... And they can follow the flow as they look at it. It's not just a set of disparate headings that don't appear connected, mm-hmm. but it actually tells a story. They're already comfortable with what they're going to get. They're already coming on the journey with you um, rather than just thinking, well, hang on, how's this going to... This looks like it jumps around. This is very strange. Because they don't feel... And also because they, they can see the end of the journey. I mean, I know I keep on harping on that, but quite often when you're in these presentations, you don't want them to go for two hours and you don't want them to That's be it. detailed. And That's exactly right. You're just trying to get a couple of po- points out of that, it. That is exactly right. And again, it goes back to what is my objective from this presentation? What do I want my audience to do? And it's got to be something pretty simple. Um, and as for what it is, it entirely depends on what your business objective is or what your objective is in, in that presentation. Yeah. Uh, but Forcing yourself to keep your objective simple, to whittle down your objective to the one thing you want those people to do when they're finished, even if it's go and buy your book or give you a call mm. or... Ask you back for another presentation. Ask you back for another presentation. You need to know that that's your objective because that helps you keep your storyline simple. And your storyline, and here's, here's the additional set of rules. So there are five slides and the leads tell the story, the top of the slide, each lead should only be five words and that again makes people take in a deep deep breath because it feels scary um i allow seven but 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 five is is seven if you're a politician five is perfection seven is is getting close to perfection why because any longer than that and you're just going to confuse your audience you're making them have to read this thing and it's too it's too complex the complexity is in the content of the slides. Mm. So that's the next the, the next rule that's, that's most important. So it's five slides, five words per lead. The heading is just a small 12-point heading underlined in bold that's actually on the slide that says what these pictures are that you're looking at. And there's the next point. Don't put words on your slides. Talk to images. Talk. They can be graphs. They can be charts. They can be diagrams. It can be maps, pictures, images, something that you know will engage your audience to demonstrate the point you're making on that slide because they're going to remember the pictures more than they're going to remember the 10 dot points which you just repeat. Cause, and who wants to sit listening to somebody repeat 10 dot points Oh, there's on the nothing worse than people reading thinking, them out. We've all been in that situation in the audience thinking, 
why didn't you just give me... You think about it, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you've, you've, you've bummed out and you've got the afternoon session at a day-long conference. It's the second day, it's been a long, hot day and they served wine at lunchtime. <laughs> and your audience is thinking, I could just go home, to, go back to my room and have a sleep and then read this thing after dinner. Yeah. I could just... If it's something they can read. Like, yeah, that's exactly right. If you give people images and pictures, they'll stay in the memory much longer. Let me give you an example. And I think I showed you this... Mm earlier, there was a presentation given by an absolute boffin from, from the, the Australian Road Research Board, who's a, a, a client of mine, um, about the need to embed new technologies in our road systems, literally in our asphalt pavement, um, in order to make automated vehicles, driverless vehicles, a, a reality. It, it needs to be that the driverless vehicle is smart, but also the road is smart and the two things talk to each other. Otherwise, you're not going to deliver the level of safety and, and reliability that that consumers expect. All right, so you just you just speak to, spoke as though you were speaking to someone who... I, I got it. I understand yeah. what the topic is, but I imagine this boffin, when he first came to you, wanted to... You know, have all these explanations and talk in technical jargon. Well, that, and that's the thing because he is actually one of the smartest human beings I've ever come across. He's got a PhD in asphalt pavement technology, which who, who would have known you can get one of those? <laughs> um, and he wanted to get across a whole lot of incredibly detailed information because his audience were, he considered them to be his peers. Mm. And so in an academic environment, it's important to show off how smart you are and it's important to protect yourself against somebody else who wants to try and trip you up and show that they're smarter than you. It's, anyone who's been to university knows that that happens in that context and some professions take that with them uh, into, the, into the real world. But what he did, and it was, a, it was a stroke of genius, and it's the thing that sticks in my mind, he, he presented on, on his first slide, he followed the five-slide rule, on his first slide he presented three images and they're all of 42nd Street in New York, one from 1880, one from 1902, and one from 2000, 2010, whatever it is. And it was really clear. Between 1880 and 1902, the roads went from dirt to asphalt with lines because we had motor vehicles, not horses. We had a, a massive technological change from horses to motor vehicles. The picture in 2012, apart from the fact that the quality of the asphalt is probably a bit better and the, the um, lights were more modern, our road system has not changed in 120 years, effectively. Still got lines on His it. His message is, how can we support 21st century automated vehicles if we're using technology invented in 1900? Now, that sticks in my mind because it's a really powerful image. He didn't have any words on that page except we have the lead which said, we are at a crucial decision-making point or what words that effect. And there's the timing that you talked that's, about that's in the beginning exactly of the right. show. That's exactly right. So... Um, that was, for him, that was the context and the timing piece because his audience knew exactly what he was talking about. And he then spoke to that slide for a good five minutes, just extemporising because he knows all the material off by heart, which is another thing. You, you always look smarter if you, if you know your material. But that image stuck in my mind and stuck in all his audience's mind. And when I think about now about news stories about automated vehicles, I'm actually thinking, well, hang on, what about the roads? Yeah, what about the asphalt? Because I can 
you know, I know you can build this vehicle that can do this, but if the road was smarter, we'd have safer roads. And that's really important that you've taken away that message, but you're not necessarily an expert. I think a lot of mistakes that people make is, particularly those who are perhaps consultants and experts in their field, is they're talking as though the audience are a group of experts, and they're not. Sometimes you've got to bring it down a level a little bit that's, just to give the yeah, basics first. That's, that's absolutely right. You need to totally understand your audience before you even start planning what you, what you communicate. So... We talked about, um, you know, the, the number of slides and the layout of the slides, the importance of using pictures and the importance of speaking to those pictures and your detail is actually what you're saying yep. and having the confidence to know that, well, there's a reason why you've been invited to be the expert because yep. you can talk about this topic without having to read bullet points off the page. Yep. Let's talk about um, the importance of timing uh, your presentation versus your question time. Very good point. Very good point. One of the things people do is they, they get invited to speak at a conference and they're told they've got half an hour. And it's the usual format. We've all seen it. Three half-hour talks and then a question time at the end. Now, if you're the person who gives the first talk for half an hour, A, you've almost killed your audience with boredom. And most <laughs> of them really, really, really need to go off to the toilet. Right? And that's really, that's the only memory of your talk is this, this horrible need to, 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 <laughs> to leave. leave themselves. Um, and then by the time it comes around to question time, they've forgotten what you were talking about. So they don't feel engaged or, or have, they don't feel like they have any ownership of what it is you've got to say. Mm-hmm. So what you do is just say, okay, I've been given, I've been given half an hour to speak. Uh, my presentation's going to go for 15 minutes. Always, really important rule, always allow ha- half of your time for questions. Half the time? What happens Absolutely. if there's no questions? Ah, there's some pretty useful, pretty easy, pretty good tricks there. Um, that, that you can play. First, plan a question in the audience. Everyone does it. So it's, it's a very common strategy from politicians to professional speakers. Plan a question in the audience. Someone you know, just have them sitting in the audience, knowing that if no one else asks a question, they'll put their hand up and you know where they're, you know where they're sitting so you can see them and they can ask you a question. What if you don't know anyone? What if you're walking into the room at the beginning what of the day? What if you're walking in cold at the beginning of the day? There's a number of tricks there. One, there's always coffee beforehand. There's always mingling beforehand and maybe even the night before. If this is the first morning of a conference, you've had a dinner, a welcome dinner the night before. You've sat next to somebody. You've engaged with, you've done your thing. You've asked them about themselves. You've, you've shown interest in themselves. You've talked about them. A, they'll like you and B, out of that will come some kind of issue that's actually relevant to you. Because you ask some nice penetrating questions, and you'll you'll get a question coming back from them. About, and in particular, you want to talk about the presentation because the, they're they're going to be excited that they've met the presenter. This is exactly right. And so, you ask what their perspective on it is, and they'll say, "Oh, what I've always wondered is with this, or what I've always wondered is that." In the conversation, you answer that question, but then you lock that little question away. And if you get to the point, I preface this by saying, if you deliver a five-slide presentation. Um, in 15 minutes, there will be questions because you've engaged people. It's interesting. It's exciting. You haven't bored them to tears and you haven't tried to tell them, okay, I've just given you every piece of information in the known universe. So <laughs> if you're asking a question, it's because you weren't paying attention. <laughs> right? um, so you will get a question, but if you don't, and the odd, on occasion you don't, or you just feel like you're just waiting a little bit too long because the audience is too shy and you don't have a planted question, the trick is to say, let me let me tell you a question that someone asked me over dinner last night 
Well, let me question. Let me tell you a question that Dave asked me, or Mary asked me over coffee this morning. It's a really interesting question, and it, a lot of people ask this question. It's a really important one, and then you ask the question for them, and you answer it yourself. And but and what you've done there is created a sense that there's now a conversation going on between you and the audience, even if you actually were being the audience at the time. And you'll find once you do that that somebody else will. Once the ice is broken, somebody else. We'll ask you. We'll ask another question. I like what you were saying there about actually naming the person you spoke to as well, because you know they're going to be in the audience, and straight away you're engaging. And look, worst case scenario, nobody comes up to you. You're running late. You're in a cab, and you arrive five minutes before the presentation. You haven't had a chance to engage with anyone. Make it up. <laughs> well, that's that's actually an, another really good way of doing it. You, and and it, it's not you're not deceiving anyone or being dishonest here you'll have given you'll have been discussing this issue it's been part of your life for some time people ask you questions about it all the time so if you haven't got a a question planted if you haven't had a chance to meet someone for coffee beforehand because your plane was late and you had to rush straight on stage you simply and no one's asking questions and none of these things are likely to happen but if, if you're absolutely at rock bottom there you say one of the things people often ask me is this and then you ask your own question, mm. but you're you're, ref- you're referencing the question to other people who you talk about, who, who with whom you with whom you speak. Now, what happens if you ask one of those really curly questions? What have you got as backup? Okay, so this is where the, this is where um, many in your audience and the people I teach the five slide rule to breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> five slides are your core presentation, and you get to the end of it, and you go to the. The, the static thank you slide at the end. You can have a hundred backup slides if you want for detail. If you know you're going to have an audience that wants to really grapple and engage with the detail. Or challenge you. Or challenge you. Don't give them the detail first. The, 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 the temptation is to give them all the detail first so no one can ever challenge you or question you and no one can ever pick a hole in your argument. Much cleverer to have all that detail on backup slides ready to go, knowing which questions you're going to be asked because you've done this before, knowing the gaps in your own argument because you've you've created your own argument. Mm. And when person stands up and says, well, you said that, you know, road technology hasn't changed since, since 1902, but what about the great revolution in 1953? Good question. I'm glad you asked that question. Let me just flick through my backup slides here. Here, this chart shows... And you're done. And now you look actually twice as smart as if you tried to dump that information in the front. Um, and then and and you've engaged with the person and you've actually given the person, paid the person credit and given them respect because you've anticipated that their question is a good one, so much so that you've actually bothered to, to have an answer ready for that, for that person. So it really, um, it almost expands your knowledge. You've got the ability to talk to pictures and express yourself as an expert and I guess with that of course we're not even going into the confidence and the and the body language and the way you speak um, and your projection I mean I think anybody can read about that at some point but I like the practical nature of well you're probably going to get some good questions from the audience let's have some additional information and and just showing how prepared you are by having those slides ready and know where they are very quickly well that's absolutely right and you've 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 raised another point here which is there's a lot of training for speaking that talks about how to how to look confident how to show confidence techniques for you know breathing and all this kind of hoomy goomy stuff um the way to look confident is to be confident 
And the way to be confident is to A, practice, mm-hmm. practice, 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 practice. Keep practicing in front of a mirror, in front of your dog, in front of your husband and wife until they want to kill you. <laughs> Just keep practicing because no matter how forced it feels when you're practicing, if you've done it over and over and over again on the day, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier. So that's the first way of looking confident is, is, is being confident. And also being rest assured that there was a reason why you were asked to be there. That's that's exactly right. But it's it's harder to psychologically talk yourself into being confident than it is to do a series of activities or, or follow, a, follow a, a pattern of behaviour that just makes it easy for mm, you. Mm. So it's almost like cognitive behavioural therapy for speakers in that, in that sense. Um, you have all the tricks up your sleeve. You know that when it comes to question time, you've got your question planted. You know that p- people are going to remember pictures so much more than they are stats so you put the pictures up and you just talk to them and the more you the more you do it the more confident you become and there's a few other little tricks you can have up your sleeve as well that you can use as often as you like or or not i i use this one every time and it's something i learned from a an old lecturer of mine back at university again too many years ago if you're talking to an audience and they're starting to look, look a bit like they're Zoning falling, out and falling, going, asleep, falling off their chairs because you've once again got the afternoon session. Thank you very much, conference organisers. You know the name of, of just one person in the audience. They can be your best friend. They can be someone you've met over coffee and you know, you know the name of them. Better still, if you can actually see them in the audience, that's great. Easier to do when there's 50 than when there's 250, but even if you can't see them... And you weave into the conversation and you say, and Alexi, the most important thing about this issue, and if you are looking at Alexi and Alexi's half falling asleep, she's awake now, <laughs> right? But not just Alexi. What you've done is given the sense to everyone in your audience that you are talking personally to them. You've named Alexi, but that doesn't matter. Now they all know that you could name them as well. And they're awake and they're alert because you're saying to them, this is not just a passive one-way communication. I'm actually engaging with you during the presentation. You only need to do that once or twice during your presentation and you definitely wake your audience up mm. and engage people. And that also gives you a sense of confidence. And if you've, you know you've got all these tricks up your sleeve and if you've done it before and if you've practised and if you've got good pictures and good images, you will be more, you will look more confident because you are more confident. So the trick to looking more confident is to be confident and there's some behavioural things you can do to, to make yourself more comfortable in that regard. Well, look, we have jam-packed this show with lots of really great strategies um, and there's we've talked about email strategies for getting your point across. We've talked about converting that into a verbal conversation even to the point of what to talk about when you're networking and of course at the back end of the show we talked about that fabulous five slide rule which everyone can take away today it doesn't matter if you're doing a presentation to a boardroom or to a hundred people or even to a thousand people if you apply those rules you've got the confidence and the skills and the strategies to make sure that you're delivering the perfect presentation now jeremy how can people find out more about yourself and cloud six should they want to know more they can contact Small Biz Matters, the most fantastic small business podcast in the universe, or they can go to www.cloud6, that's C-L-O-U-D-S-I-X dot com dot A-U. Excellent. Of course, you're on LinkedIn, of course. I'll be there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, and wonderful. Thanks for very much for coming on the show today, Jeremy. You've um, been listening to an, another fantastic podcast with Small Biz Matters. We are in the middle of a guest fest at the moment, booked out for a number of weeks with fantastic guests, including people like the ATO. We've got Peter Strong, who is the CEO of the Small Business Council, um, and also coming up on the program, some great presentations, not presentations, I should say, but some great podcasts with experts like lawyers, um, employment. Uh, I think we're covering a bunch of other topics in the coming weeks as well. If you're interested in coming on the program, get in touch with smallbizmatters.com.au. We're always looking for some fantastic experts in their field. And of course, uh, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter via the website and you can follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm not on Twitter because that's just too hard. (laughs) It's one step too far. I can't be on all these social media platforms. But thanks once again for listening, everybody. We will see you all next week. You've been listening to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd.